Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. If I haven't met you, uh, like Samantha said, my name is David Harrington. I'm the location pastor here. And if this is, if you are new, would love to connect with you outside uh, in the lobby after the service. Um, before I jump into the message today, uh, we've been walking through uh, the book of Matthew. Spent most of this year actually walking through the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to continue that. A series today, but before that, um, would like to ask you to pray with me for our lead pastor, uh, Brian Mowry. Um, he actually is in Amsterdam this morning, heading over to Cyprus, uh, gathering with uh, leaders from across the globe. Jubilee Church is a part of a family, uh, family of churches, um, a global family of churches called New Frontiers, and uh, we. Uh, we love to run together, sharing the gospel, planting churches, and he is with leaders that represent literally thousands of churches across, uh, across the globe. And so I'd love for him, I'd love for you to join with me and just to pray for him to be strengthened. He is both receiving, uh, being encouraged and being strengthened there, but he's also preaching and he's encouraging others. So uh, let's pray for him. Lord, we thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, across the globe. We thank you. We just thank you, Lord, for this reality. You're building your church. You are building your church and the gates of hell won't stand against it. I thank you for the men and women uh, that are gathered together, uh, Lord, who are serving, uh, serving uh, um, um, several local churches, uh, Lord, uh, serving many, many people. And Lord, we pray for this to be a time of refreshing, a time of re-energizing, a time of re-envisioning God. Lord, I pray, Lord, that these leaders would be strengthened, that Brian would be encouraged, that he would be strengthened while he was there. And we do pray, God, that you would work through him, speak through him, and um, enable him to be a blessing as he serves those leaders as well. Thank you, Jesus, uh, that you're building your church. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. You guys ready? You ready to get after it? Nice little cut your hand off sermon today. Um, just buckle up. One day I woke up and uh, my mouth was hurting. And uh, I was 27, uh, I remember that. And uh, I remember uh, having this pain in my mouth and I had dental insurance, but I had lived long enough to know that dental insurance doesn't cover anything. Um, and so uh, I did what, uh, I mean, I was generally a healthy, you know, young man. And I thought this will go away. Like it hurts, I'll just, I'll just go to bed and wake up and the problem will be gone. Like. And we do that, right? Like, who, like, we treat it like a reboot, like the check engine light. If we restart it or the, or the computer breaks down, like just restart it and whatever's wrong will just go away. So I decided to do that with this toothache I had. I went to bed, I woke up, the problem didn't go away. It stayed there. It was tolerable. So I lived with it. It's not that bad. I can just keep going and whatever is going, whatever's happening, it eventually it'll stop happening. And it did. I remember the day that it stopped happening. Um, because I was sitting at lunch with my coworkers and um, I bit into the toughest turkey sandwich I have ever experienced in my life. I mean, I think it was made of rocks because as I bit into it, I heard crunch and it wasn't the sandwich and there was no pain, which by the way, isn't a good sign. There was no pain, but the crunch was my tooth falling apart. 
in my mouth. Um, don't judge me. I can feel it. Don't judge me. Listen, because we do this, right? When we have problems, when we have problems, if they're, if they're not intolerable, we do this a lot. We're like, all right, we're just going to avoid it. We're just going to look away. Eventually it'll go away. Like, yeah, it's a problem, but it's not, it's not that bad. We're much better at dealing with other people's problems. I, I thought about, you know, if my daughter came to me, if my, if my oldest daughter who's 12 came to me and said, dad, I got this toothache. It's hurting every single day, but hey, hey, I'm going to, it's fine. We don't have to, we don't have to go to the dentist. I would be like, no, 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 no. We got to go to the dentist. Like we got to figure out what's going on here. Like we got to figure out the problem. No, no, it's, you, you can't, you can't just live with that. Like we're, we're really good at helping other people with their problems. We're not always so great at helping ourselves with our own issues. We all have issues, right? We, no one's gonna deny that. We all have issues, we all have problems, but we prefer to spend the time fixing the person next to us, which is why if you've ever heard a sermon before today, you have had this thought, man, I wish John heard that message today. That was a really good message and that would have really helped him. Too bad he missed it. We'll just pray for you, John. We, we, hear, we hear things and we think, oh, this would really help that person. This would really help my spouse. This would really help my friend. This would really help my family. I mean, there's problems. I got problems, but there's other problems to, to deal with. And it's why we can talk about unfair bosses, nagging family members, insensitive friends, or let's go broader, uh, political corruption, culture wars, who's been canceled, crime, the decline of mental health, on and on and on and on and on. All the issues, there's so many issues out here, so many problems out here, so much brokenness out here. In fact, if I were to take the issues that are inside of me, the sin that's inside of me, the brokenness that's inside of me, and I were to set it on a, a scale, and then I were to take all the problems out here. I'm not pointing to you. Out there, out there, all the problems out there, none in here, and put it on this, this side of the scale. I mean, I'm a drop in the bucket. I would be launched off the scale. The problems are so great and so big over here. So since we have all of this brokenness and all of these problems and all of these issues, what is Jesus gonna do about all this? What's he gonna do? Don't worry, Jesus has a solution. He tells us what he's gonna do. And he says in Matthew 18, verses eight through nine, he says, and if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Ushers will be passing out saws in just a moment. Just kidding, it's a joke, it's a joke. It's not a good joke, but it's a joke. <laughs> it is better for you to enter life crippled or lame then with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, he says, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. And if that's not enough in verse six, he had preceded it with this. He says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. So not if you got sin in you that you're sinning, but if you lead one of these little ones uh, who believe in me to sin, to sin one of his sons, one of his daughters in Christ, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says that it's better for you to cut your body parts off than to, that cause you to sin than to keep on sinning. If you lead one of my little ones astray, 
if you lead them into sin, given the choice of facing me or having a stone tied around your neck and sunk to the bottom of the sea, you should choose option two. What is going on here? I mean, is Jesus just having a bad day? Like, is he just some dad that overreacts and he's lost his temper and he's just had it with the disciples and so he's just overstating some things? I mean, do we need to let him have this moment so we can get back to like, where's happy Jesus? Like, can we get some healings and like, you know, some, just some new things? Like, like, I mean, I think probably at this time, one of his disciples offered him a protein bar. Like Jesus, just, 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 just not sure. You know, perhaps the God of the universe, the God who created all things, who wove us together and made us in his image, created us with purpose, who left heaven to walk with us, laugh with us, sweat with us, who understands us. Perhaps Jesus isn't having a bad day. Perhaps he understands something about us and about this world that we don't understand. Perhaps he's wanting us to look at some things that we don't prefer to look at and to take seriously some things that we would rather gloss over. Now, Jesus isn't ignorant to the problems outside of us. He's not oblivious. He's very, very aware of the brokenness that exists in our, our world. I mean, he says himself in this passage, he says, woe to the world, woe to the world, woe to the world for temptations to sin. Woe to the world. I mean, imagine Jesus. It probably was said with some level of grief in his voice, angst in his voice when he said, woe to the world for temptations to sin. Woe, because the temptation to sin, the brokenness in the world, the, 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 uh, all of the mess that exists, it's, it's, it's massive, it's big. And as he, Jesus, fully God and fully man, he must have had a special understanding even into the original intent of creation. I mean, Jesus was there in the garden. He was there. So he knew what it was like when there was no sin and when there was no death and when there was no sickness. Jesus knew what it was like when the Father said, it's good, it is good. When everything was good, Jesus was there. So I can just imagine the grief as he looks out in all this brokenness and all of this sin as he says, woe to the world, woe to the world. For judgment must come from a perfect and holy God. Judgment must come from a perfect and holy God. Jesus is aware of this as well. He's aware of the issues and the brokenness. He sees darkness that we cannot imagine. He perceives pain that we have only brushed up against. But when he sets his eyes, when he sets his loving eyes, eyes that want good for us, freedom for us, purpose for us, life for us, he speaks in such an extreme way, not about what's going on out there, but what's going on in here. See, he understands that if we're ever going to do anything with the problems that are happening outside of us, then he has to do something in our mind and he has to do something in our heart. He has to do some transformation. If any of this out here will be redeemed in a godly sense, it will never be through our effort. It will never be through our understanding it will never be through our programs, our perception, our 
ever-increasing knowledge of how the system works. That's not, that's not the answer. If it's going to be redeemed in a godly sense, it will only be through the transforming work of Jesus Christ. And he wants to do that transforming work in your life. See, it's like a gravitational pull for us to take our eyes off of ourselves and look to the world and shake our heads and make a heavy sigh and just think, if, if he would just do something about that. And it's like Jesus, like with these very weighty statements about cutting off our limbs and being drowned in the sea. It's like he's, he's trying to like clap his hands together and say, hey, eyes on me. Eyes on me, kids. Eyes on me. Listen, I know. I see it. I see this brokenness. I need you to see what's going on inside of you. I need you to let me in there to do something about that. See, his disciples thought, we've talked about this a lot through as we've walked through the gospel of Matthew and how his disciples just couldn't wrap their minds even around Jesus dying or needing to die. And it's because they thought Jesus was there to build an external army, to deal with an external problem. See, they, they were the Jews. They were God's special chosen people, right? They were waiting and, and they were waiting for their savior, but their savior in their head and in their mind was gonna deal with the Romans. They were going to restore the things that way they were meant to be because yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm Peter, I've got problems, I've got some attitude adjustments, but the real problem is out here. It's the oppression of God's people, it's this Roman rule and they're looking for a savior and that's gonna lead an external army to deal with an external issue. But he was laying his life down so that he could redeem and save us from a personal issue that's inside of all of us. See, Jesus didn't give his life so we could dismiss, excuse, rationalize, minimize, and justify our sin. Jesus came to break us free from our sin. We don't get transformation and to hold on to our old selves. One happens at the expense of the other. When we try to hold on to strands of our life that were present before God saved us, we're saying, I'm not sure, Jesus, you're better than what's back here. Like, I wanna say yes, but I'm not sure of what I have to let go. In fact, I'm not sure what back here is, is even all that bad. I mean, let's talk about bad. I'm just not sure if what's going on in here is all that bad. But we have to understand that when we minimize the sin and the brokenness in our life, we minimize the work that Jesus did on the cross. If this isn't that bad, he didn't really need to die. What's Jesus say? He says, cut it off. Cut it off. Gouge it out. Jesus seems to think that the darkness is in us is worse than we are grasping. I mean, something that stood out to me is that Jesus doesn't list specific sins that we should cut our limbs off for. Think about that. He didn't say, if you murder with your right hand, then you should cut that one off. That's, that's bad enough. He just says, if you sin, if you lust, bitterness, lying, want what other people have, steal, cheat, gossip. Have I mentioned anything that you've done? They got disobeying parents in the Bible as a sin. We've all done that. Who hasn't sinned this last week in the last 24 hours? Perhaps during this sermon. 
If Jesus says that it is with this aggression that we are to approach sin in our life, perhaps what's going on here, here, what's going on in here in me, what's going on in you is worse and more serious than we are letting ourselves imagine. Perhaps we're feeling the dull ache of something and we're thinking, it's not that bad. I've got other things, more important things, more pressing things to deal with. I'll deal with this some other time. Now, Jesus is speaking in hyperbole here, okay, for anyone who's sweating, wondering if this is really what he means. This is obvious. This is not, he's speaking in hyperbole. We know that. We perceive that, okay? We would all be dead if he wasn't. Peter would have gone up in a puff of smoke the moment he denied he ever talked to Jesus. Like, no one would be alive if this was not hyperbole. But what is not hyperbole and what I get a little, little bit concerned for us that we do because you, it's, you, you got to kind of put the claws on it, right? The claws, not the, the claws, like the claws. It's like, okay, he doesn't really mean that, right? Samantha's giving, she's laughing at me, which I appreciate. Um, I get a little concerned, though, because this is what we do. You know, we hear the stories like the young rich ruler, and Jesus says, go sell all your possessions, and we're like, yeah, 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 because we don't want money and stuff like that to like be the ruler of our life. And then, with, then you get the question, but am, I, am I supposed to do that? And like, yeah, you know, he was dealing with him. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's an extreme statement. Yeah, 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 he says cut off your limbs, but he isn't, you know, he, it's not really what he means. And when we get in, and it's true, he, like at this, he's, he's, he's speaking in hyperbole, but what is not um, what is also true, or what is true about this, is the tenacity and the literal, the literalness is that Jesus takes our sin. So it, it's such a big deal. It's such a big deal. He is a holy and perfect and unblemished God, set apart. We sang about it all morning. Holy, he's holy, he's set apart. He's absolutely perfect in every way. We, sin cannot exist. Like we can't, I mean, we, when he, we cannot exist. Like he can't tolerate it, which is why there is a judgment that is coming. There is a judgment that's coming. And we need to walk in the grace that he has extended to us. But that grace is not to excuse and to diminish or think it's not that big of a deal. No, no, it's a massive deal. If Jesus is saying it, it's a massive deal. See, we can raise a fist and we're really good at raising a fist to the issues in other people's lives. We are good at raising a fist and saying, here's the problem out here. And how quickly do we forget that there was a group of people that raised their fist to Jesus and they yelled, crucify him, crucify him. Because their problem wasn't in here, he was their problem. So they're gonna get rid of it. Didn't work out the way they thought. But that's who he laid down his life for. He laid down his life for people who think the problem is out here. And he's like, no, 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 look, 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 look. There's sin in here and I've come to conquer that and liberate you from that. They failed to perceive the corruption and darkness and sin in their own hearts. Jesus wants to address that. Great. So what do I do? How do I take Jesus's words and apply them? 
How do I know if I'm succeeding? The disciples kicked this passage off by asking a question as well. They said, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Different question, perhaps different motivation, but underneath it, I think underneath the question, we're all kind of looking for the same thing, which is, what's your grading criteria, Jesus? Like, how do I know if I'm passing or failing? Show me the ladder I have to climb so I can be a little bit better than where I am right now. I mean, I'm gonna leave today and I'm okay today, but I wanna be a little bit better next week. So how do I get to be a little bit better? What's the grading criteria? How do we get to being a little bit greater? Jesus tells in Matthew 18, two through three, calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Two words that I'm gonna come back to in, in a moment is the words turn and humbles. Turn, underline them if you have them in your Bible. Turn and humbles. Turn and humbles. Key. But I first wanna recognize how significant what Jesus does here in front of the disciples. In fact, I, I don't think we can fully appreciate it in, a, in our culture. A child who in that time and in that culture uh, would have not garnered a lot of attention, who had uh, practically no rights, no power. One commentator uh, writes about this moment saying, saying this, it may be impossible for modern readers to understand how truly shocking Jesus' statement in this in the following verses. Little children had no status in the very status-conscious culture of the Jewish, Greek, and Roman worlds of this day. Hence, not a surprising question for them to come to Jesus and say, who's the greatest? Children may be loved and valued and dearly cared for, but they had no say in the choices that impacted their lives. Compared to adults of any age, children were powerless. And they may be powerless, but Jesus places value on them and even says we must become like them to enter into the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says that children are a blessing. Children are a blessing. Parents, maybe you need to hear that today. Children are a blessing. Children, if you're in this room, you are a blessing. You are a blessing. And it's because of God's heart and what he says that makes it easy, honestly, easy for us to give the resources and attention and the people uh, to the areas that we do, J-Kids, J-Friends, Youth Ministries. It's easy. It's easy. And I love the, those who serve in these areas. I love them because they, I, I, when I talk to you, I hear how much you care about these kids, our kids. I see how passionate you are about them. One of the mantras that lives in Nikki Ackridge, our J-Kids director, and because of that, I know it lives in our teachers, is we are not here to babysit. We are here to disciple. Like she lives with that. If you got kids that are in the kids area, I just want you to know your kids are being loved on by some really great people. In fact, I would... I would love Jubilee just to take a moment to honor those who serve in these areas. To know, um, to know our youth leaders is to know that they aren't people that like punch in and punch out at their, at their youth meeting night, but they hang out and they eat with 
and they do Bible studies and they spend time with these kids. Why? Because God has placed an amazing value on these kids. God loves these kids. God died for these kids. They are the next generation who are going to carry the baton of the gospel forward. And we want to be a church that celebrates that, that recognizing that faith doesn't tied with an age, that redemption isn't tied with a grade, but it's the beautiful work of God who wants to reach us and wants to reach our kids as well. Could we just take a moment? If you serve in J-Kids, J-Friends, J-Kids Check-In, or serve in our youth area, would you just stand for a moment? I'd love for the churches to take a moment to honor you. Would you all stand and let us thank you? Come on. That's right, youth. That's right. You're supposed to stand. A lot of our youth, if you didn't know, a lot of our youth serve in J-Kids. I love that. I love seeing the older kids serving the younger kids. It's a blessing. God places value on them. And, uh, you know, I, sometimes... That's one of the biggest lies that the enemy gets with us is just that you don't have value. Like you don't have to be a kid to feel that. But I was just thinking about that. Man, Jesus, he does this all the time. He takes someone who in that time period, in that society would have been deemed irrelevant in some regards and he takes them, he puts them center stage and he does something amazing like this. And he says, no, 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 no. You have value. You are loved. Why? Because you're made in the image of God. Maybe you're walking in today feeling kind of low, feeling like, you know what? No one sees you. No one notices you. You're irrelevant. If you weren't here next Sunday, no one would notice. Man, God just wants to break into that cycle of thoughts that's happening in your head, that's happening in your heart, and says, no, 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 no. I see you. You are made in my image, and I love you, and you have value to me. He reminds us over and over. You know why? Because we need to hear it over and over. He tells us, our, how, I mean, he says he knows when a bird drops out of the air, how much more valuable, how much more valuable are you to him? You have value. He loves you. He has made you. His love is available too. It's extended, ready for us to receive. He says, just become like a child. Easier said than done. Just become like a child. Okay, learn how to turn back time. Peel off every baggage, every burden, every offense, every intentional and unintentional wound that you've acquired each month, each year from the day you were born till today. Then you can enter. Then you can be great. Then you can be free from that sin that you're entangled in. What am I supposed to act? Just act like, like, like my past hasn't happened, like I haven't been hurt, like I haven't been forgotten, like I haven't been overlooked, like my, my family and friends haven't said those things about me. I mean, I wish I could turn back time and become like a child and not have said those things in anger, not looked at those images on my phone, not lied about what I had been doing, but I can't. I can't undo the things to me and I can't undo the things I've done. That's a problem of becoming like a child. We can't become like a child. And then on the other side, here's a question. Do you really want to become like a child? I think everyone's like, yeah, I want to get into the kingdom of heaven. Like no one's going to say no to that. But when you really think about it, like in the practical of living out, I mean, think about, think about a child. Do you want to be like a child? A child is dependent. The IRS says so. Dependence. 
Children need someone outside of themselves to help them do things. They can't do it. They can't reach things that are too high for them. They need someone to keep them alive. They're dependent. Little children are dependent. And I think that's harder for us than we'd like to admit. Like it's hard for us to be dependent on something. We wanna be independent. I said those two key words in Jesus' statement, turn and humbles. Turn, to turn. He says, and those are the keys, he says, to turn. Turn is a turning away from ourselves, our thoughts, our understanding, and a turning towards God. It's a picture of repentance. It's turning away from ourselves, away from this world, and it's turning towards God. I cannot become like a child. I need to be transformed into being childlike, which he can do. I cannot heal from the sins committed against me, but Jesus showed that he has authority to heal all wounds and he wants to heal mine. I cannot undo the sins I have committed against myself and others and I cannot stop. But Jesus has offered forgiveness and promised to make me a new creation, one where my sin has been canceled and no longer has authority over me so I can stop. I love that verse. I mean, I just, I read this over myself, the verse in Colossians where it says, Jesus, he has nailed our sin to the cross. He has canceled the record of debt that stands against us. He has put to open shame. He has triumphed over every power every evil, every principality. It's a canceled debt that we live under. Now here's the question, is that true? Because if it's true, then if, and I am a new creation in Christ, then the authority and the power that my sin had over me, it no longer has. But don't we slip so easily into thinking like, I'm never gonna be free of this. I'm never gonna get out of here. I'm never gonna change this behavior. Well, you and you alone will not, but Jesus can. That's why we have to turn. That's where repentance comes in. It comes into this place of realizing, oh, I'm not gonna overcome this in my own strength, in my own understanding. I need transformation. I need to turn towards God. Jesus has offered forgiveness. He has promised me to make me a new creation. It says it in 2 Corinthians 5. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's super important. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. You cannot become childlike. You cannot overcome your sin. You cannot master your pride, but he can transform you. He can make you a new creation. He has overcome your sin and he has the power to deliver you from your pride. Have you dismissed your sin? Have you undercut 
what God has done in your life, what God can heal, what God can redeem? Have you looked the other way and said, it's just not that big of a deal. It's not that serious. There's other things more pressing, more serious outside of me. Listen, the church has the potential to be the most beautiful place, not because it's the most put together, not because it's the hardest working, not because it has the most effective ways to serve and meet the needs in our community, not because of those things, but because it carries with it this message of reconciliation. See, Jesus says, Jesus says, listen, he can transform us. So pride tells us, Pride says that we can do it. God says, no, you can't. You gotta let me do it. Where we, see, where we say the words, I can, we need to replace I can with God can. Where we say the words, I can't, we need to replace those words with God can. And here's the, the tricky thing about pride is the pride wants to get its way in there. And why we need to walk in humility is because pride is elevating anything else over what God says. And so we kind of get the picture of some arrogant, boastful person when we think about pride. But the truth is pride, pride is the soft-spoken person in the corner who's, oh, that's, I'm not good enough for that. I'm, I'm, no, 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 I just, I'm, no, no, I, I'm not, I don't deserve that. I don't deserve that. That doesn't sound like pride, but oftentimes it is. God says, you are an ambassador of Christ. God says you are a new creation. And when we say, yeah, but I'm just, I'm not good enough to step into this space or whatever it is. Like, I'm not, we're taking what we say and we're putting it over what he says. And that's pride. That's pride. Anything good or bad, positive, negative, that we elevate over what he says. Now I get it. And this is the tricky thing is because there's always like an element of truth in pride. Yes, we don't deserve anything. We don't. Where we walk in freedom from that is owning that we don't deserve it, but God's given it to us anyways. That's the great news. And so he says, he says, come boldly to the throne room of grace, boldly, not, not insecurely, not uncertain, not full of anxiety, boldly, he says. Why? Because he bought us for a price. He paid the debt. He wants us to walk in a new life, a new creation, set free from the sin that so easily entangles. That's what he has for you. That's what he has for me. And when a community of people comes together and they live in that space with that confidence, not because of us, but because of what he does, we come boldly, not because of our resume, but because of Jesus's resume. When we run forward, just believing, man, what can God do? Like he can do anything. And a community of people that gets a hold of that becomes a beautiful place because it becomes a place of freedom and refuge and stories that said, I was this way and now I'm this way and I've been changed by God. And that's our story. It's not a story of trying harder. It's not a story of being a little bit better. It's not a story of suppressing just a little bit harder. It's a story of recognizing God wants to renew our mind and transform our hearts. And when people come into that space, weary from the world that tells them that they can find their own happiness, they can create their own identity, they can make their own way, they can figure it all out and they try and try and try and try and they get worn out. And then the culture that they were a part of canceling people cancels them. See, God's not a canceling God. He's a redeeming God. He has a new story, he has a new narrative that he wants to write over your life. And it's not your words and it's not my words. It's his words. 
And that's the invitation for us today is to step into this space, believing what he says, believing what he can do, believing that he's paid that price for that sin that's so hard to get rid of. And he's like, you're trying to get rid of it the wrong way. Let me in there. Open the door. I'm knocking. I'm knocking. He's not an intruder kicking the door down, but he's knocking. He wants us to humbly open that door, say, God, I need you. I want to walk with you. I need your transforming work alive in my heart. And today you can step into God's transforming work by receiving his truth and receiving his words. You can become childlike by turning towards him by humbling yourself and recognizing that God wants to do a great work in you that will have a ripple effect into the corners of your neighborhood, your workplace, our city, our society, and our culture. That how he works. He is a transforming God. Let's stand and let's pray. The band's going to come and we're going to worship here, but let's Let's ask God, let's boldly come to him. And perhaps you're here today and, and God has maybe put his, his, his finger on something going on in your life, maybe a sin you've been entangled with. And he just, today he wants you to hear this message that you can be free from that, that you can walk in forgiveness, that he's already paid the price for that sin that you're stuck in. That way that you're thinking, that way, that attitude that's in your heart, he, has a, he wants to liberate you from it. That thing that's weighing you down, the burden, the heaviness, the exhaustion. He has grace. He has redemption. He has a better way. So let's just pray and ask you, Lord, we just thank you. Thank you, God. Lord, we hear your word. We see, Lord, how seriously, uh, Lord, you, you address sin in the world and particularly in our life, God. And Lord, I would just say, we need, we need you. We need to be changed by you. Lord, I just, we want to turn towards you. We want to turn towards you, God, recognizing that we are not very good leaders of our life, but you are. You are the author, you are the creator, and you're the finisher of our faith. That means you're going to see us through to the end. And we thank you that that is our anchor and that is our resting place. God, thank you that you have freedom for us. Thank you that you've purchased liberty, Lord. Thank you that you have overcome every power, Lord. Thank you that you've canceled our debt. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room who doesn't know you as friend and father and savior who has not put their faith in you. God, I pray, Lord, that they would, they would hear this message and see, Lord, that you went to the cross to pay for this sin so that without anything else other than receiving you as Lord and savior, they can be made new. They can, be walk, they can walk in a brand new life with all of their past forgiven and canceled. We just thank you for that re present reality for us, God. Thank you that we woke up this morning and your mercy is new. Lord, we just pray. We just pray, God, to continue to speak to our hearts this morning. Amen.